Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, qué golazo. Magnífico. Gol. Qué golazo de Bellerín, gol del Arsenal. Gran gol de Bellerín, 1-0. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Hello there. Hello. We are recording... Not long after the Community Shield. Very Arsenal, soon after. Yeah, very soon. Arsenal triumphant. The preseason treble complete. My question to you is, does it get any better than this? Almost certainly not. <laughs> Downhill from here. Yeah. Um, yeah, the treble's in the bag. I think yeah. we should declare on that. Um, you know, just sort of call that, call that a season, shall we? Yeah, why not? Why not? We've done everything we needed to do. We've lifted some trophies. We've played some good football, defended well, kept some clean sheets. I mean, what is the point in going on? We're just going to spoil it. I'm inclined to agree, to be honest with you. I feel like this is this is the high point. Let's get out <laughs> while we still can. Um, a, a fun kind of day against Chelsea. Um, regardless of, of how sanguine I was beforehand about, well, look, you know, if we win, it is only a preseason game. And I still feel like that to a certain extent because it is only a preseason game. It was interesting to... To hear Per Mertesacker talk in the post-game interview with Ray Stubbs on on BT Sport about how look it's it's nice it keeps our momentum going a uh, good positive pre uh, preseason but it is only preseason he was very keen to stress that but you know there's part of me that just is like <laughs> fuck you Chelsea and Mourinho <laughs> that's a there's a big did you um, text your brother or anything or he actually hasn't seen a kick of this yet he's at a wedding in Florence. So uh, I'm going to let it be a nice surprise for him when it when it comes around later on. All right. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's that's very generous of you, I think. I think had they won, you know, I'd be spoiling it for him. But mm. seeing as they've lost, I'll let him watch the whole thing on record and see it play out <laughs> sort of in real time. Yeah, he'll be gone. Uh, the 89th minute winner or or equalizer. Yeah. It's it's going to come for sure. It'll it'll, it'll come. It'll come. Oh. I'll Aww. say to him, I won't tell you the score, but make sure you watch to the till the end. Oh yeah, it gets really interesting right in the last yeah. couple of seconds. It's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. What did you think of it overall as as a game? And uh, well, well, let's look at it from the result point of view. Um, it's a win against Chelsea, something we haven't done in in quite a while since two thousand and eleven. So on yeah. that on that basis alone, we can take a positive from it without suggesting that you know everything is everything is hunky dory or or we're now as good as they are or anything like that. I guess. I mean, does this now mean that Arsene Wenger has beaten Jose Mourinho, or does it not? Where do you stand on that? I don't know. I'm not sure if this is classified as a. Is it classified as a competitive game? I know I they changed so. the rules, didn't they? Because. Um, like yellow cards and red cards in this game don't count towards the season. It used to be a case if you got sent off in the Community Shield. You might remember Francis Jeffers. I do he remember got, that. He got sent off were, for kicking Phil Neville. Were it not for that red card, he surely would have become the leading goal scorer in Arsenal's history. Absolutely. But look, when Phil Neville is lying on the ground, you know, you He's don't only, get that chance too often, do you? Exactly. Francis Jeffers is only human. Mm. Just about, mm. um, but he got banned. But it's it's not a case anymore that that those bans um, go into the season. So I don't know what the actual status was. I was in the middle of um, writing a piece for ESPN the other day uh, about the Community Shield, and I was about halfway through it, two thirds of the way through it, in fact. And then Theo Walcott and Santi Cazorla signed new contracts, and they said, "Can you write about that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I've already done this bit," but I couldn't quite find anything about the status the official status of the game whether it's considered a, a competitive match or not what do you consider it well and in, in, in the circumstances and given that it's very shortly after the game and given that Mourinho clearly didn't enjoy it yes yes, yes. It's extremely important yes yes um look I think 
here's the thing. The way I'd, the way I'd look at it is this: that if Chelsea had won, we would be seeing countless, countless articles about how Arsene Wenger still can't beat Jose Mourinho. True. So. Bearing that in mind, I think it's only right and proper that we can take it as a as a win. Yeah, I think so. And also, I think whether or not it counts as a competitive fixture, it doesn't really matter. Even if it was, it's still not the most significant thing in the world to win the Community Shield. I do think that the repercussions are kind of the same either way, which mm. is that it's a big psychological boost and it's a bit of momentum ahead of the new campaign. I think, however it's classified, that remains consistent. Mm. The uh, So, a uh, great goal from Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and we've spoken on this podcast before about how we feel, you know, this is the season for him to, to make the breakthrough, to start scoring, and, uh, well, that's a good way to get going, isn't it? Pretty nice way indeed, mm. yeah. I was quite surprised, you know, it was Cesar Azpilicueta, I think it was, who showed him inside onto his left foot and really allowed him to that space. Maybe he didn't think that he would pull the trigger on his weaker side, but a really good finish having done so. And that's exactly what he needs to be doing. And he has been doing it in pre-season, which is encouraging. So I think he, I think a player like Oxlade-Chamberlain, he could aim for, what, eight to ten goals this season? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got the ability to hit double figures for sure. And, mm. and that will go some way to to adding those goals that Arsene Wenger wants um, his team to score this season. He talked about 10 or 15 more goals, didn't he? So Yeah, um, and I saw he said he expects double figures from Mesut Ozil. That, that may happen. But if you ask me of those two, which player do I sort of feel has the greater goal-scoring potential? It's probably Oxlade-Chamberlain. Mm. He's got really good shooting ability on his day and just needs to... Make it count now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the decision to start Theo Walcott up front, uh, what what did you make of it? My my feeling on it is that Arsene Wenger wanted to see him play up front against a defence like Chelsea's, you know, to, to, to do it in a way that um, he could analyse it a bit because of the, the status of the game, because it's not necessarily a, uh, a game that will cost you points or anything like that. This was a great way for him to see whether or not Walcott could do it up top against someone like Cahill and, and Terry. What did you make of his performance? I think I think it's partly that. And I think also potentially there's a... a perhaps he was thinking that Cahill and Terry aren't the quickest over the ground and there might be something yeah. for Walcott to exploit in that respect. Uh, what did I make of his performance? Uh, I thought he did okay. I didn't think he had a massive impact. I thought some of his movement was effective in stretching the play and it meant that we had a constant menace on the counter-attack. He was involved in the goal as well supplying the pass but mm. I didn't it wasn't a you know it wasn't something wasn't a performance that made me go well that's it Theo's nailed down the centre forward spot for the rest of the season you yeah know? yeah for sure I mean I thought there was one break you know where we we looked like we might exploit them I think he just had Terry in front of him mm. and he had players coming up on the outside of him and yeah. it, it didn't quite go the way it should have gone you know I think that really is where Walcott should be looking to improve um in situations like that, a better pass probably would have allowed him to take a return pass in behind the defender uh, and get get through on goal. But, you know, he was involved for the goal. I think he found it difficult against them because the type of passes that he was receiving, th- there wasn't a great deal to feet. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, high ball coming towards him and he's always going to get out-muscled and out-strength and out-jumped in that regard. Uh, and as well, I do worry a little bit with Walcott up front that perhaps we don't have an outlet when the goalkeeper's got the ball to feet that, you know, we don't have somebody who can win the ball in the air, uh, particularly against a powerful side like Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, of course, we've lost Bakary Sanya, you know, a year ago and that he was always the outball for the goalkeeper. Mm. Hector Bellerin doesn't offer you the same thing, does he, from right back? I think no. even Debussy is better in the air and potentially could provide that. So that's that's a possible thing. I think you're right about his general link-up play. He's definitely a player you want on the end of the last pass, not making the first passes. Yeah. His decision-making isn't always the best, but interesting to see him use that. It really surprised me, I have to say. I didn't expect that to be the case. And I, I wonder, you know, after the game, Arsene Wenger talks about wanting to use him through the middle more in certain games. It almost feels like, you know, rather than going out and buying a world-class striker, if he can't do that, it will be a combination of Giroud and Walcott who will fill that gap. You yeah. know, it'll be a horses for courses kind of thing. Yeah, it was. he said he wants to use him there as well. Now, whether that means as well as Giroud or as well as using him on the right-hand side, I guess it's any one of those things, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, I think he's the idea of using him there uh, has been mooted 
more often in the last little while, but in reality, he hasn't played there a huge amount for us. You could probably count, you know, one hand, two hands, the amount of times Theo Walcott has started up front for Arsenal. Uh, but obviously, he's got enough faith in him to give him a new deal uh, and to use him as an option, uh, whether or not we get that, that other striker in. So, What did you make of other elements of the team selection, like the composition of the midfield? Interesting. Interesting. Mm. I think, you know... I think he really wants Oxlade Chamberlain in this team. Right. I think he he's got he's got a big desire to to develop him. Um so he was playing from the right hand side. I think it was Cazorla from the left hand side. Seemed to be, yeah. Yeah, you know, but I think there's a fluidity to the type of players that we have, which means that not everybody is fixed in position if you know what I mean. So whether we get the best out of Cazorla on the left or whether we get more from Ozil in the middle or whether those two could switch around a little bit, I don't quite know. But it was interesting that Ramsey wasn't on the right-hand side. You know, mm. I think as as long as Oxley chamberlain or Walcott are options, I think he'll, he'll use them. And and maybe with uh, with Ramsey in the middle, Ramsey and, and Coquelin and, and Ozil, he's trying to develop that trio to be the one that can control games for us. Yeah, I think there's probably a few things at play because I thought it might be Santi deep alongside Coquelin, Ramsey on the right, maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain on the left. Mm. But perhaps if he knows Oxlade-Chamberlain's going to play that right-sided role a lot this season, he'll have Alexis on the left side once he comes back. You know, perhaps he wants to start developing that partnership between Bellerin and Oxlade-Chamberlain. That's something that he needs to see if that's effective. Mm. Also... You know, Ramsey, I think, was a good choice to play in the central midfield against Chelsea, who've got such power in there. Guys like Matic and Ramirez when he tucks in. So I think maybe that was part of Arsenal's thinking. I think I think it's tempting to draw big, big conclusions from his selection today about Walcott and where Ramsey played. But mm. my sense is that he's got so many options available to him that there may be a greater fluidity in his selection over the course of the season. It may be more that he... he I'm not going to say tinkers, but you know, just changes things up according to who he's facing. Yeah, I think I think we're going to see that more than we've ever seen that from from Arsene Wenger because of the simply because of the amount of players that he has and the variety of players that he has, and I think that will probably go in defence as well. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be certain games where Bellerin uh, is preferred to Debussy, but also Debussy perhaps preferred to to Bellerin from time to time. Again, that might depend who he's playing on the right hand side. So. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But like you say, I don't think we can draw any huge conclusions from it. But I just wanted to make the point that uh, Ramirez is one evil fucking cunt, isn't he? He really oh, he is. He really is. He really is, yeah. I mean, the, the, the bit where, obviously, he's scraped his studs down because Orla's shin, and you know that, that's kind of what he's about. But the bit when he booted, or he just left a knee in Ozil's stomach, and uh, on TV, Michael Owen is going, well, you can't lose the ball there. But, you know, hang on a second. You've just been kneed right in the stomach and all the wind knocked out of you. hes I don't know how he gets away with it. It is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. He must be incredibly charming to all the referees before the game because <laughs> they don't seem to pick up on it at all. Referee, he, these uh, Ferrero Rocher. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. You're walking around with a, a tray of Ferrero Rocher and I don't know what else. I dare to think what he does. But, mm. yeah, he... um. He 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 uh, he's an evil man. If it, he, they don't look alike, but if it emerged that he was Jose Mourinho's biological son, somehow it wouldn't surprise me. The streak of evil, yes, is, is strong. Oh, it, oh, it's definitely strong. It's definitely strong. Uh, Petr Cech in goal mm. against his old team um, had a great big old hug after the game, didn't he? With with Mertesacker, I thought that yeah. was nice. It was like two giants, yeah, it was coming together in gigantism. You do get the sense that those two will be bossing the dressing room, don't you? I mean, Mertzak yeah. has been the kind of enforcer, the guy who, you know, collects the fines and what have you. Arteta's the club captain, but I feel like Czech is sort of the third now in that, you know, triumvirate of, of leaders, isn't he? Yeah, he he really does seem to be talking a lot. And I think um, the the guy on, on BT was asking Arsene Wenger that apparently he's, he's telling them every day in training, I'm here to keep clean sheets. And mm. uh, obviously the defence are a big part of helping him do that but yeah I mean I think that that attitude and I think perhaps he he probably feels a little bit despite how experienced he is and how much he's won and how much he's done in his career having lost his place to a younger guy and I thought Courtois was was very good today 
Made a couple Some of really, saves, really yeah. good saves. Um, you know, that there's still something for him to prove. And I think that hunger and that desire to win things uh, will be really, really beneficial for, for the Arsenal dressing room. Of course. And, you know, although we say it's not the most competitive of fixtures today, he'll still take massive satisfaction from having joined a new team where he was effectively surplus to requirements, gone to a new team and, and you know, defeated his previous club. I think that'll be a real boost to him. Mm. And I... I don't know. I mean, I think I have to declare a degree of prejudice here, but that feeling that I always had when we had David Ospina in goal, which is partly born of unfamiliarity, that feeling of, I don't feel absolutely secure here. I don't necessarily know what I'm going to get from this guy. I don't have that with Petr Cech. You know, we've seen him in the Premier League for over the past, however long it is, almost a decade now. Mm. He's so dominant and so effective and he's got such a, a calm presence, so much experience that... You know, as me watching as a fan puts me at ease, and you feel as if it probably puts the back four at ease too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he made a brilliant save, didn't he, from that Oscar uh, free kick? Very good save. I liked. Uh, you know, he must have known what Ivanovic was up to as well. The shenanigans there, standing in front of him, and the, and the whole lot. But you know, he wasn't he wasn't phased by the cold, dead eyes of of the assassin Ivanovic. <laughs> no, no, no. Had it been Ramirez, maybe it would have been another case entirely. Well, I mean, had it been Ramirez, Ramirez would have stood in front of him, taken out a little shiv and just gone, stabbed him about three times under the ribs, like one of those prison killings in the Sopranos or something like that. Yeah, but then got a friendly pat on the back from the referee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Thanks for those chocolates, Ramirez. They were the most excellent chocolates I've ever had. My wife thanks you uh, for the flowers. They were amazing. My kids, they enjoyed that new paddling pool that you sent over. And my elderly mother, well, well, say no more. <laughs> she slept well. Um, I, uh, Yeah, exactly. No, but I was really impressed with Petr And I think that he and Mertzaka are both very vocal. And that's something that for a long time we didn't have at the back. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's obviously definitely a sign of progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what, what I really liked about the last 10, 12 minutes of the game was the way, and we saw this a couple of times last season, was the way that we, I won't say we, we, we saw it out, but we were prepared to be a bit cynical. And we were prepared to to give away free kicks and win free kicks at the same time. I think there was a great one that Monreal won late in the game and it was just kind of, there was a bit of contact and he he made sure that he won the free kick just to sort of kill the momentum. And how often have we seen Chelsea do that, that they, they, they you know, they just cause niggle. They, they put the opposition team off their game. And I think there was a great bit when Arteta came on and he just, uh, it was about five minutes after he came on and there was a sort of a, a scramble in midfield and somebody was on the ground and Arteta was just like, kick, 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 kick. Yeah. I'm just kicking everything. And just that, you know, that kind of thing, uh, it, it causes the opposition to lose any momentum. It causes them to kind of break their concentration a little bit. They get wound up and, and you're there going, what, what? You know, so I I really like that about about the uh, the final part of our game. Yeah, there was a bit of cynicism there. It's funny you mentioned Monreal and Arteta, two Spaniards. I think that's probably part of the coaching over there. They're very good at that element of the game. But I think, um, yeah, it's it's a good sign. And and in that last few minutes, we defended pretty ruggedly. You know, we there were a few high balls into the box, and players were throwing themselves in front of it. Arteta did that a couple of times. Mertesacker Saka too. I, I was really really pleased to see that because I think you know even though this was in inverted commas friendly there was that massive desire to put one over Chelsea uh, and that was reflected in the supporters too so basically it was a really good day I mean you know it's 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 one of those where you can sort of play it down all you like but if you win and beat a rival obviously you're going to enjoy it yeah and I'm enjoying it and uh yeah I am enjoying it and I was sort <laughs> of I'm, I'm enjoying the cold as ice Arsene Wenger like, that was just fucking sensational. The bit uh, where yes. Mourinho waited for all the Arsenal players to come down so he could shake their hands, give them the high five, and, you know, to be fair to the Arsenal players, they, you know, most of them did it. Some of them looked at him like, well, fuck you, but, like, okay. And then as he's as he's shaking the, the hand of the last player, Arsene Wenger just, like, ghosts in behind him. Like a, yeah. like a French phantom. Just... It was- <laughs> I know, amazing. It, it just was, slipped away. The timing of it was absolutely incredible because you could see perhaps that Mourinho, I, I suspect Mourinho probably would have would have blanked him anyway, but didn't get the chance because Wenger got there first. 
I think so. I think so. I mean, even Steve Bold, when he went over to the Chelsea bench, I, I don't think went for Mourinho's hand, did he? I think he went for some of the other coaching stuff. I didn't I didn't see that bit. I mean, yeah. should grown men of their age be above things like that? People will say, you should show a bit more class. You should, you know, you should shake the hand. But, you know, this is this is Wenger and Mourinho. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. In fact, I think that was possibly one of the best things I've ever seen. I don't think as a fan you necessarily want to celebrate being on a high horse. Do you know what I mean? You want to celebrate giving one in the eye, not in the way that Mourinho did in Barcelona. But, uh, but you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, you want to celebrate. Um, it's basically more fun, isn't it? It's about rivalry. It's about competition. It's about that animosity between, you know, two clubs mm. competing. And I think... I mean, look, I wouldn't want to shake his hand necessarily, so I'm, no. I empathise with him. And also. look, it, it sets the it sets the season up very nicely now. You know, we've got this already this little bit of an edge that's happened. The Arsenal have won the Community Shield. Um, we've got to put that to one side now and concentrate on what happens against West Ham. But you know, the, these little things create the 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 stories of the season. And and uh, look, it's good that it went our way. Nobody's getting carried away with what it might mean for what we're going to do for the season ahead. But you can. I, I'm just glad that we've avoided all the tedious think pieces about what it would mean if we hadn't won. You know, all the conclusions that people would draw that say this isn't good enough, that's not good enough. And again, that's not to say that things can't get better. But it, you know, from a preseason point of view, it, it's rounded it off very nicely ahead of the first game. Yeah, look, it's definitely good news. But I also think it's important not to obsess on one team. You know, Arsenal can win the Premier League without beating Chelsea again this year, you know? Mm. Um, and the important thing is that they take this form into West Ham and worry about that and worry about the Premier League fixture afterwards because, let's not forget, we won the Community Shield in some style last season against Manchester City and then went on to have a very stuttering start to the, the competitive campaign. Yeah. And so it's really important that they obviously avoid that this time around. I guess one uh, just final point uh, before we uh, take a break and, and come back with some questions, and, and maybe I don't want to sort of take this podcast in a in a bad direction because, you know, it's been all upbeat and and quite cheery, but, mm. you know, I think we, we do have to address the fact that Ramirez is really fucking evil. We do. We do. I mean, what is there that we can do from here, from within the confines of this podcast? What can we do? Uh, that that's a really good question. That's a good. I mean, I'm not I'm not well practiced in the dark arts. For example, I couldn't cast a spell on him. I don't have any magical powers. That's a shame because voodoo was going to be one of my first go to options. Yeah, but look, I'm you know I I don't want to mess with that whole world. You know, I've been there before, man, and it wasn't pretty. Sure. And also, to be honest, Ramirez is probably quite steeped in the arts. I mean, anything with evil associated, he will be quite learned about, mm. I imagine. Yeah. Maybe we should just kind of hope that somehow where there's evil, there is also good. Where there is darkness, there is also light. That the the nemesis, the true uh, counterpoint of Ramirez will emerge over the course of the season. And exactly. as Ramirez tries to spread his his dark evil ways across the Premier League he shall be smote struck down by the man with the sword of light and goodness and whoever that might be I think it could I mean, be Hector Bellerin I think it could be I, I, where there is Ramirez there is Hector Bellerin mm. bringing justice someone put that on a t-shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> we make a lot of money alright we're going to take a short break we'll be back with some of your questions in part two right after this Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, the Community Shield winning Arscast Extra. And this is the uh, part of the show where we answer some of your questions sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Um, James, I'm, I'm going to let you go first. Okay, well, listen, this is a tough one. Right. To be with you. Of all the questions we've had, this is one that's got me really racking my brains. This okay. is from at FullTimeGunner, and he asks... Who is the bigger cunt, Jose Mourinho or John Terry? Oh, my God. I know. Sophie's um, choice. Yeah, it really is. Um, that is a fantastic question. Oh, my God. I don't know how to answer it. 
I like, know, because choosing one is effectively almost sort of like a positive reflection on Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. You don't want to say that one is, is better than the other or, or less of a cunt than the other one. I know. Oh, um, wow. Uh, the litany of stuff that Terry has done versus the litany of stuff that Mourinho has done. Oh. This, I, I, uh, I think I have a theory on this, but hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. My theory is that John Terry, you're right, has done some absolutely diabolical things. However, my impression is that John Terry is a significantly more stupid man than Jose Mourinho. Okay. I feel like there's a greater degree of consciousness to Mourinho's evil. And to me, that somehow makes him more culpable and thus potentially more of a cunt. I think that that has absolutely nailed it. I agree. Okay. I agree completely that there is a cynicism, uh, a diabolical nature to Mourinho because he thinks about about what he does. And I think, yeah, you're right. He's he's a more intelligent person than John Terry. Therefore, what he does is strategic. It's planned. Mm. Great thought goes into it. We know how he likes to manipulate things and the press and and people and. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that absolutely nails that answer. Thank you very much for getting me out of that. It's all right. I mean, look, the, the counter-argument to, to what I've said is that, as far as we're aware, John, uh, Jose Mourinho hasn't done anything racist. So, you know, there is that. There is that too. Mm. It, it, it can go either way. But I do think that John Terry, he's not excused in any respect. For- you should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com anything he's done but there's there's an, an idiocy in him that means it's almost beyond his control it wouldn't surprise me if it emerged that everything he'd done was in fact the work of the manipulation of Mourinho behind him wow he could he's, like just be he's got an implant in his brain and he, he tells him stuff yeah wow I can he, I can imagine I can imagine it you know John Terry lying in bed at night and Jose Mourinho crawls very very gently into his into his bedroom on all fours terry's asleep Mourinho sort of pats across very slowly and terry's still asleep and he just looms over him a bit whispers in his ear repeatedly for about 30 40 minutes you're gonna shag wayne bridge's wife <laughs> and john terry wakes up the next morning and goes wow i I've got this incredible desire to have sex with Wayne Bridges' wife or girlfriend or whoever it is. Where did that come from? That's where it is, yeah. Arguably, John Terry has done the more heinous things, but I suspect that Jose Mourinho was the the real master behind it all Mm. in exactly the circumstances you've just described. So we have solved that one. Okay, here, while we're on the Mourinho thing, and I think we should move away from it quickly enough because we, you know, we don't want to lower the tone that much, but, no, you know, might be sick. in fairness, Arsene Wenger cut a, a fine figure on the touchline today in his, his <laughs> Arsenal suit. He mm-hmm. had a shirt and tie on, slacks, shoes. Jose Mourinho, on the other hand, he, he did not. He was wearing, you know, sports gear and what have dressed you. as me, didn't he? Well, here's the question. This is the question. It comes from Brian Richards, who's okay. at Brian Richards, because that means he got there before any other Brian Richards in the world, which must, it's quite an achievement, because I'd impressive. say there's loads of Brian Richards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he wants to know, homeless tracksuit chic, who wore it better, Gunnar Blog or Mourinho? Well, look, I definitely wore it better, but I think it's got it's time to, to lose the homeless chic, because if Jose is doing it, I don't want to be associated, do I? Yeah. I, th- I think it's time. I need to start suiting up. Unless, though, he's going to go back to the suit next week for the Premier League when it all... I think it was clearly a ploy for him to be like, this is just a friendly, I don't care what happens, so mm. if I lose, I'm covered. But if he goes back to the suit, what the hell am I going to do? Am I going to have to Where, keep going to the track suit just to differentiate myself? No, you could just wear, like, a good pair of jeans and a T-shirt, or you could wear a better suit. Both good ideas. Both yeah. good ideas. They will involve me buying some actual clothes. 
but it's a sacrifice I'm prepared to make. Yeah, I, I think at this point, how old are you now? Old enough. Certainly old enough. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a grown man by any by any measure. Yeah. Some investment in your wardrobe um, would be a good thing. Would be perhaps over the course of this season during the Arscast Extra, we could we could get a, a clothing sponsor and we could yeah. have you modeling the clothes in return for look at these uh, outstanding slacks here in beautiful uh, camouflage green as James mm. is modeling here. Give us a twirl there, James. And, you know, we could do like a we could do a vine. So if anyone out there has got a clothes emporium and they'd like James to model in return for making him not look like the, the tracksuit man, please get in touch. Something tells me that may not come to pass. Probably right. not. <laughs> um, should we have another question? Yes, please. Okay. Um, oh, this is sort of quite a strange question, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it's from Ben at Ben CrossFit. Okay. And he asks, how come no one puts vapor rub on their chest like Vieira these days? Did he know something we don't? Well, yeah. Am I right in thinking? Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I thought it was like a a winter thing. Ah. I don't know whether it was or not. Maybe the 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 sweet sweet scent of eucalyptus is something that's uh, beneficial throughout. But I don't know. Maybe he just had like bad sinuses. Maybe that was his thinking on it. That maybe. It, yeah, I I don't know. It was but quite strange though, wasn't it? They had that little patch, you know. Mm. Just in the centre of his chest. Of course, you'd never see that on the new away kit these days because the minute the players start sweating, it looks like looks like an old damp rag. <laughs> That's true. You know, it just it soaks it all up, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, should we? I mean, it seemed to work pretty well. This vapor up thing. Should we be looking to bring that back? Well, maybe that was what set us apart. When when Arsene Wenger came in, everyone said, "Well, look, do you know what? Do you know what made Arsenal the the, the best team?" Arsene Wenger came in, he made them do yoga and calisthenics and, and they did stretching and they didn't just do stretching before the game, they did stretching after the game and it was, you know, out with the pies and the, the Coca-Cola and the chocolate, like he wouldn't let them eat chocolate uh, mm. on the day of a game and they're all going, no, I need my Mars bar in order to play. No, you won't have Mars bar, you'll have, you'll have pasta but no sauce. You'll just have the, the delicious carbohydrates of pasta, they will fuel you throughout the game. Maybe what it was was the Vicks Vapor Rub. That's it. They thought it was creatine and it was Vicks all along. Mm. That's why we dropped away. We stopped applying Vicks to people's chests. Yeah. Look, I'm just saying, if the season starts to go awry around October time, we want to buy a bulk supply of that and just slap it all over the players' faces and bodies, see what yeah. happens. Yeah, and uh, you know what I think is really interesting and people don't talk about a great deal is the fact that it was Vic Akers who invented it. Of course. Yeah. Vicks, Named after Vicks, him. Vicks Vapor, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, next one. Oh, it's my turn, is it? It is. It is my turn. Okay, uh, here's a question. It's from Jacob Sobik at No Travic, and he says discussions about best eleven are slightly are slightly pointless as Wenger wants flexibility and fluidity. Discuss. Yeah, I think we alluded to that earlier. I do think that you know when I saw that team today, initially I, I sort of made the mistake of going. Oh, so Walcott's first choice centre forward and mm. Bellerin's first choice right back and Aaron Ramsey's going to play central midfield every week. I'm not sure we can do that. I think when you think about those selections, they actually, they do all make sense on an individual basis. You know, Walcott to test the pace of John Terry, Ramsey to cope with the power of Matic, uh, Bellerin, you know, has got the speed to deal with somebody like Hazard, which maybe Debussy's lacking a bit of sharpness still coming back from that injury. Mm. So I think... I think there will be changes quite frequently in the team, especially once attacking options come back in. You know, we had no Alexis today, no Danny Welbeck. We had Iwobi on the bench. We're a little bit light uh, on the attacking front right now. But mm. in a few weeks' time, we should be back at full power. And I think there's going to be rotation. I think there's going to be options. And I think the team will change depending on, A, the quality of the opposition, and B, whether we play home or away. Mm. Yeah, I mean the, the the best eleven thing. I don't think it can be a case that you 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 shouldn't even have a best eleven. Really, you know, these days in terms of the the amount of games that you play, the uh, the uh, the various competitions, you need a squad. I think if you do have a only a best eleven, then you're you're sort of dipping down the minute one or two of those players aren't available. You know, 
So I think. Do that's... you think that's the same for the attack and the defence? Because instinctively, you know, well, it'd be good to have like a settled back six. So you got your keeper, you got your back four, you got Cochrane in front of that. Mm. I feel like consistency in those parts of the pitch is maybe maybe more important than in the attacking third. Yeah, probably, but I think as well you also need to be able to keep those players fresh. Like those players can't play in every single game. It's just mm-hmm. not possible. You can't maintain that level of performance and the level of of energy. And I think what was quite interesting in the very early stages of the game was how quickly Arsenal came out of the blocks. Um, you know, to to try and put some pressure on Chelsea, it all settled down a little bit. But you know, if we're going to play a high tempo game, um, we need to keep those players. Uh, as fresh as possible and I think you've got to be available or you've got to have players available who can come in and take off uh, take some of the burden and uh, and and keep those guys with some with some bit uh, energy left in their legs and and everything else you know and I think you know if you're you're looking at a case of well it's Debussy or Bellerin it's Gibbs or Monreal fantastic options in, in those positions as we alluded to maybe last week on the on the podcast, Gabrielle and Chambers, a bit unproven perhaps when it comes to the central defensive side of things. But, you know, we're, we're looking at players for the future there as well. But, you know, I, I think um, I think it's a very healthy squad, certainly the healthiest squad in terms of numbers and, and overall quality we've had in, in ages. Well, it's also pretty healthy, uh, literally as well, in terms of fitness, mm. you know, which is an unfamiliar sensation. Jack Wilshire um, out injured today, though. Yeah, picked I mean, up a, we, an ankle injury in training. Apparently, I, I don't know uh, how he's serious it is. It, Arson, but I mean, as soon as you hear the words Wilshire and ankle, mm. you know, you do fear the worst. Mm. Um, that said, it's quite hard to see how you know where he would have got into certainly the first eleven today. But as you say, I think but he wouldn't have today. But you know, yeah. he would have been an option from the bench. But over the course of the season, you you definitely want him. You definitely want him fit, yeah. Of course, of course. I mean, also the Danny Welbeck situation rumbles on. I mean. You start to get a bit worried about that one. I mean, it's. Uh, I was kind of until we we made the decision. I think we made the decision to to loan out Chuba Akpom yeah. to uh, to Hull, and I think if there had been some long term concerns over Welbeck, then we would have held on to Akpom, even though I don't think he's anywhere near ready to play for the first team. I think we would have held on to him just to have that bit of insurance. Mm. Um, and I was looking at Members Day and he was there for the photographs and he was, you know, kitted out and seemed happy and smiley and he wasn't walking around going, look at my knee, <laughs> it's fucked. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a little less worried than I am uh, or was before. Okay, well, that's... Um, just, I'm sorry, I just noticed something here on Twitter. Um, Ramirez has just killed a lion. Dear, 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 dear. I bet the lion had a name and everything. It did. Oh, they're the worst ones to die. Yeah. That's awful. The nameless lions, you know, we don't care about. I I honestly couldn't give a shit. Yeah, but the uh, ones with names, wow. It kind of humanises them. It does. It does. Not to Ramirez, though. No. Because he's incapable of empathy. Um, Another question? Yeah. This is, we've touched on this, but I think it's worth exploring more. It's from Magnus Holmberg. Okay. Magnus underscore Holmberg. And he asks... Uh, is, is, would you say he's from Scandinavia somewhere? I don't know. I don't know. It could be Jewish. Berg. Goldberg. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Is Walcott the new, <laughs> is Walcott the new first choice centre forward? Will he start against West Ham based on today's team? Uh, will he start against West Ham? Uh, I think he might. Because West Ham are a bit Aston Villa, aren't they? And a bit West Brom. Mm. Yes, James Collins is a bit Ron Villar. Yeah. So I think perhaps he might well start against uh, against West Ham. But I, you know, I I still have to see more of Walcott up front to be convinced by him as a genuine option there. I think Arsene Wenger sees it, but um, I'm not saying he's he's bad. I just haven't seen enough of him there to really make my mind up. I think he. I just think the, the 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 type of game that we play for the most part involves um, using the centre forward or the striker as something of a focal point from which other players break beyond and, and uh, he brings them into play. And I don't think that's Walcott's strong point. And I also wonder, even if you talk about his movement and his pace, that if you play against Theo Walcott, do you then do you then play with a high line if you're the opposition? Because that's the, the the best way for him to hurt you 
is to get in behind and exploit the space. So what do you do? You you back off. You don't let him have that space. And then I think his he struggles a little bit in terms of his his overall game. But maybe you know we looked at the the West Brom game and he was sort of good in and around the penalty box, wasn't he? He was quite mm. quite sharp in there. And uh, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I saw somebody on Twitter, and you have to forgive me because I, I've forgotten who it was, but they described Walcott and Giroud as a, a tag team. And I think that's quite a neat analogy because it's almost like if you play Walcott, you know, if the, if the opposition don't know who's going to start, then Walcott's named in the team. Mm. They set up deep. Then it's like, well, tag out Walcott, tag in Giroud because he's actually great in that circumstance. He can take the ball into feet, back to goal, work in those tight spaces. I almost feel like even within the same game, they both have their uses, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, could you see a situation where he plays the two of them together? Maybe, but with, what, with Walcott on the right-hand side, perhaps, or the left-hand side? Maybe Walcott sort of behind Giroud a little bit, or playing maybe, off him? Possibly, possibly. I feel like Meza Ozil's, you know, got that number 10 spot nailed down, and I feel like introducing mm. two strikers makes it harder to accommodate him there. Yeah. But it's it's not impossible. I, I just wonder... Yeah, I think I think the, basically the plan is to, to sort of use them kind of Swiss Army approach when when it's appropriate. What did you see the um, the cover of AS today in Spain about Benzema? Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think? I mean, do you think we're really interested in him? I mean, by process of elimination, if you if you consider that you know that there might still be an appetite for a marquee signing and that it, that would probably be a centre forward, when you look at who's out there. You know, I, I always do end up with him as the potential target. I guess it's partly lazy thinking. He's mm. French, isn't he? Arsenega loves a, a French forward. Um, there are some respects in which it doesn't make sense. You know, would Benzema and Giroud really want to share striking duties at a club in the season before Euro 2016 in France? I don't know. I mean, I can't see that working out too well for them. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's genuine interest? I don't know. I mean, I think we... We could be if Madrid were willing to let him go, but I don't see why Madrid would let him go. AS were talking about 65 million euros, but weren't they? You well, know, you know, that's doesn't seem unreasonable in, in the market no. that we're in a, a, at this moment in time. Um, and of course, 65 million euros is only about £12.50 these days, given mm-hmm. the exchange rate. So it's quite favourable in, in, in that way for us. But, you know, they've got to get a replacement from somewhere if they let him go and you know we've spoken before about the dearth of top striking talent around Harry Europe. Kane they, could, they can have Harry Kane <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be fucking amazing could you imagine if we could convince them into that the transfer merry-go-round not only would <laughs> Spurs lose their beloved child Harry Kane but also Madrid would have to have Harry Kane as a Galactico which would be <laughs> hysterical and we'd get Karen Benzema. It seems ideal. I think let's make it happen. Yeah, let's do it. We've got to get the... the why don't we have magic powers? I know, if only. This, if, I mean, if there's someone out there with magic powers they're not using, please bestow them upon us. Yeah. But I um, I do think it's probably something they'd like to do. You know, why? You wouldn't turn him down, would you, Karen Benzema? He's a top quality player. Sure is. In some respects, he, he ticks a lot of boxes in that centre-forward position because... He's got the finishing ability. He's got you know a bit of speed to get beyond the defender, but he's also a good link player. So he's kind of a number nine and a number ten rolled mm. into one. Um, but he's famously one of Florentino Perez's favourite players. There's no obvious need for him to go at Madrid. It's not like when they signed Gareth Bale and had to move somebody on, or when they signed James Rodriguez. So unless someone comes in there, he's staying and. Uh, it's sort of moot. Yeah, the other thing that put, slightly puts me off about Benzema is that he, he does look very much like the notorious cannibal Shia LaBeouf. He does look like Shia LaBeouf, that's true. Maybe he's just Shia LaBeouf's greatest performance to date. Oh, wow, that would be some piece of uh, method acting performance Imagine art, wouldn't it? Yeah, he just pull, eventually he'll pull the rug, he'll score a goal, and then uh, in his post-match interview declare... So suddenly switch accents and reveal he's been Shia LaBeouf all along and they've been filming a documentary. Can you imagine? Fucking hell. I mean, I still wouldn't forgive him for being in the uh, uh, Indiana Jones movie, that that fourth one. No. No. No, I think Shia LaBeouf's public you know, reputation has some way to recover. I'm not even sure the revealing that he is France international forward Karen Benzema can save him. No. But 
it would be a step in the right direction. It certainly would. And he should stop eating people as well. That would be good too. Yeah. All right. Here's a question from Mark Tynan at Mark Tynan one. And he says, uh, all joking aside, any merit in Roy Keane's selfie looks and hair comment about Arsenal players. Did you see this? I saw it very briefly this morning on the back of a paper in a in a barber shop. Um, he said, did he not, that some Arsenal players are too concerned with six packs and selfies? That, yeah, to, that, to, that, to they, they, they can't win the league because they're too worried about taking selfies and their six yeah. packs and their hair and, and looking good. But Says can... the man who played with David Beckham. <laughs> That's true, and won the league with him, and also. Apparently, you can win the FA Cup with six packs and selfies. That's important. You can win some competitions, but not others. Um, I think is that fair? I mean, who who are who do you think of the individual he's referring to in that? Well, I wonder who it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Which guy jumping into the pool with his uh, arse cleavage showing, with his finely sculpted body and his his fantastic hair? You know, no. I mean, I think clearly Giroud is is quite the um, quite the man for that kind of thing. He's he he likes a, a quick preen in front of the camera. But I don't think Arsenal players are are sort of setting themselves up as hot male models or anything like that, are they? I don't think so. I mean, you know, you talk about selfish, probably the most. I mean, I'm not on t- Tinder or anything, so I don't know. Oh, I mean, it's it's a it's a nightmare out there. I'll be honest with you, it's a mess. But the. Arsenal players most commonly associated with selfies are probably, probably have been Lucas Podolski and Wojciech Szczesny. They're both out the door. Yeah. So that's that dealt with. As for Giroud, he's certainly image conscious, but I'm not sure I've ever seen a more image conscious footballer than Thierry Henry. Uh, mm. you know, everything he did felt stage managed and it didn't stop him winning several Premier League titles. So I don't, to be honest, think there's great merit in uh, in what Roy had to say. No. I, I would agree. I think it's kind of, uh, I, and I quite like Roy Keane because he's, you know, he, he's good value. He's for, enjoyable. For stuff. He's enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know. But I think this is very much old man yells at cloud territory. You know, this is a world that is far, far removed from him and his experience and and anything that he would be involved in himself. Like you could imagine, if he was playing today. Uh, and uh, Arsenal or the team he was playing for won a game and someone said, come on, let's get in this uh, this selfie. Let's everyone get together. He would be like, fuck off. Mm. You know, he, he, wouldn't, he would have no part of it. But I think he's got to understand that these are young men. This is what young men do nowadays. Maybe you don't like it, but it's not causing anyone any harm, is it? It's not as if these, these selfies are, are causing outbreaks of super AIDS or anything like that. So I think he's got to put it in in context. And uh, I, I don't think it has any bearing whatsoever on whether or not we win games or, or win trophies. That's the thing. It's fine not to like it. You know, it's fine not to think it's a great thing. But I don't think it's necessarily reasonable to suggest that it would prohibit you from winning anything. Yeah, yeah. All right. Have you got one more? or I've got a stupid one. Do you want a stupid one? Sure. Yeah, go on. It's from uh, Adam Brooks, who is at Hairy Nose Dad. I don't know if he is the dad with the hairy nose or his dad has a hairy nose. Some surprise that somebody with that Twitter handle has got a stupid question for us. I know. Who would have thought? I know. He says, would you rather have fins for arms? Okay. Right. Or Chewbacca's voice? Oh, right. Okay. Well... That's a very difficult question because... You're a voiceover artist. As a voiceover guy, I need my voice. Do you need arms? Do you need fins? I don't... Would they be useful to you? Not that... Well, I mean, they wouldn't cause me any real problem as a voiceover artist provided somebody would would open the door to the the booth for me, then let me out again. Because you could imagine you'd meet some mean sound engineers who go, here's the guy with the fins. Yeah, we'll let you in. But then you just can't get out because your fins are too, you know, you, they're just incapable of opening doors or grasping things. You'd have to learn to open doors, like a velociraptor. Could use your legs. There's always that. I've got very your dexterous feet. feet, actually. I can pick things up and all sorts. Have you got disgustingly long toes in that? Yeah, they're quite like my fingers. <laughs> you may remember yeah. them. They're hideous. Yeah. Um, I. But hang on, I haven't finished. Ah. Uh... Okay. What if, though? Yeah. The problem with Chewbacca's voice is 
the only person who can understand you is Han Solo. Okay. So that's an issue because you could be talking to people and you go into the supermarket or you go into the post office and you go, and they're like, what the fuck? I don't know what you're saying. And then you're going, and in reality, you're saying, oh God, hang on a second. I'll just get my friend Han Solo. He'll explain everything to you. And you're going, and they're like, I don't know what you're saying, man. And it would become very frustrating. And the only time it would be any way useful is if you were commissioned to do Chewbacca impressions somewhere. And well, I think that's a small market. Do you? I mean, the new Star Wars is coming out, and, you know, spoiler alert, Chewbacca is in it. What? What? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, do you think that there's any chance, I know you're a, a successful voice artist with your current voice, but do you think there's any possibility that after the release of the new Star Wars, demand for Chewbacca will be so high that you could actually pick up more work by virtue of having his voice than having your own. Wow. Um, I mean, you probably I could mean, it's, do, it's, like... It, yeah. This podcast would be more difficult. Yeah. It would be very difficult. People would not understand it. They just wouldn't understand it. Han Solo would understand it, though. Yeah, and well... to be honest, if he's listening, I don't really care who else is listening. Yeah. That would Does be... Does he support a, Arsenal? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he's in a good place right now because he crashed his plane into a golf course, didn't he, a while ago? And then Ali McBeal had to come and save him or something. I don't know. I don't know what it was. So I think in the interest of earning a living and continuing to provide people with uh, an interesting podcast to listen to, I'd have to go with the Finns, much as that might be detrimental to other parts of my life. There's the sacrifice I'm willing to make for for all the listeners of of this uh, particular podcast. Well, you'd be a hell of a swimmer too. (laughs) Good point. All right. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there. You've got to travel northwards. 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 I'm going to Edinburgh, yes. Yes. Um, so that'll be fun. If you're at the Edinburgh Festival, um, come and check out Beasts of the Pleasants. It's, it'll be good fun. That's what I'm going to be doing for the next month. But I will be watching the football and we'll be back next week, presumably. We will. We'll be talking via microphones. Microphones, the internet. It's a high-tech operation. It really is. We know all the jargon. All right, then. Oh, just one final thing. Mm. Ramirez killed a lion called Chewbacca. For God's sake. Fucking Ramirez. I mean, when Han Solo finds out, he's going to lose his shit. going to go crazy. All right. Okay, we'll catch you on the next Cast Extra. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.